Closer. Welcome, episode 160. My name is Russell, and it's a very warm welcome to someone we've been trying to get on the podcast for a while, actually. Um, but um, now, now is the ideal time, given the, uh, the the program he's been involved in, all of which will be revealed and explored um, in a moment. But it's welcome to the podcast to Darren Chetty. Hi, Darren. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. No, you're very, very welcome. You, you wear you wear many many hats: uh, writer, teacher, uh, author, editor, Swansea fan, Wales fan. Um, we're going to be talking about the Dragon on My Shirt series, but um, why don't you do the the introduction of yourself? Tell people a bit, a bit more about yourself if they don't know you already. Well, I think that was probably enough. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was born in Swansea. I remained a Swansea City fan, uh, although I live in London now. I've always been a Wales fan. I haven't got to as many games as I'd like over the years, but recently the work situations it's been easier to get to, to more games, but otherwise it's you know, following on, on TV. You know, I went to my first Swansea match when I was six, so I was, I was quite young in, in getting into football. But it's been a it's been a constant in my life. Yeah. And I first came across you. I think I heard you on I think the Radio Wales, and you were talking about the Welsh Plural book, which I think is certainly worth giving a plug for people who are kind of interested in aspects of um, you know sort of culture and and, and, and identity in Wales cultures and identities uh, indeed um to be more 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 accurate in terms of the the themes of the book and i remember you talking uh, on that about obviously the book more generally but also the specific essay that you contribute to to to, to us plural and you were very much talking about your childhood in in swansea and, and kind of like the role of football within that and there's the talk about the, the you know the black boy pub in in swansea as well and, and people who know swansea will be familiar with that part of the world certainly far more than i am and um, I know we're talking about Dragon on My Shirt, but just in terms of, of that book, football does crop up in that book, and, and certainly in your essay, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I think Welsh Plural was, was trying to look at different ways that people think of their Welshness and the plurality of that to, to build on Di Smith's Wales as a singular noun, but a plural experience. And I think for me, particularly, as I say, football was, was the medium through which I sort of most thought about myself as Welsh. So it comes up in, in my chapter. And I think what also comes up is the sort of memories of being part of a crowd and, and very much sort of at home watching a match. And then moments of of racism on the terraces um, and how that, that can quickly change your sort of feeling of how you are in that crowd and how you relate to the people around you or, or how they relate to you. From a very young age, that's something that's interested in me in football. You know, I know people who sort of got fed up with racism in the in the seventies and eighties and sort of just stopped going to games. I guess my attitude was always, you know, this is my sport. Um, Swansea are my team. Wales is my team. I'm not going anywhere. But at the same time, being aware that sometimes the atmosphere has been has been less than hospitable certainly that's changed with the national team i think you know there's a real sense of of home matches being celebrations being festivals um the sounds the visuals the, the whole thing around the national team has been really exciting but but i'm also conscious that that's coincided with with unprecedented you know unprecedented success the kind of success that you know <laughs> those of us watching in the 70s and 80s couldn't even dream of um and, yeah. and i am curious of you know if i have not following the armenia game if we do take this sort of downturn in fortunes and, and, and become a team that don't qualify will will all that good feeling on the terraces 
survive. I think that would be a real test whether that sort of sense of camaraderie of, of community can withstand watching a team that, that loses more than it wins. Um, you know, obviously as a football fan, I hope we don't ever find out. But but a, a, from a sort of social science point of view, it's it'll be an interesting time, and, and I very much hope that the the good spirit around the national team doesn't depend on having superstar players and and, and necessarily you know having amazing victories over tournament favourites to to continue. It's a good point. I know. Uh, John, the, the the Belgian writer, poet, I think as well, but certainly writer, Jean-Philippe Trousson, he, he wrote a short kind of philosophical kind of treatise on football and he talks about how that 90 minutes allows us to kind of revert to a, a sort of like a, a fairly kind of primitive, primeval sort of form of chauvinism where we, we have our own kind of tribes, our side, and, and there's the enemy over there and there's that that man or woman in the middle as well as the referee who we can blame for all sorts of things. But I suppose part of that that chauvinism is... Is kind of like finding kind of scapegoats sometimes when things aren't going so well. Some players sometimes just end up being, you know, and incurring the, you know, the wrath and the ire of certain of, of, of fans. Sometimes it's just kind of like a, a truism of the game. But I suppose, you know, when you listen to, uh, as we've touched on, you know, when we were listening to George Berry in, in chapter at the premiere of Dragon on My Shirt a couple yeah. of weeks ago, the colour of his his skin singles him out even more so than perhaps any. Any, 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 you know, run of the mill as it were, scapegoating. So, yeah, I think you're right. There is, there is that, that potential for things to, to, to slip back. We rest on our laurels at our peril, I suppose. These things are always having to be continually kind of, you know, yeah, fought, I suppose, is the word, but also refreshed and, and, and reinvigorated. And these efforts keep having to be renewed, is the word, I suppose, to keep things kind of slowly, you know, inching forward. Uh, I guess. Let's talk about the, the series. Um, uh, I mean, first things first, it, it's available on the Red Wall Plus FAW sort of streaming channel. What are the other sort of credits and thanks that need to be given as well for, for getting this to to where it is? So it, it was a collaboration with Eat Sleep Media, um, who are based in Cardiff. And, done, you know, I've done quite a lot of Red Wall Plus stuff. I did the Tosh documentary as well. The director is Vicky Morton. Uh, I think did a fantastic job. Um, and... Uh, it was funded by uh, the Welsh Government through the Anti-Racist Wales Fund. So Eat Sleep Media, with, with me, put together the application for the funding and the sort of outline of, of what we wanted to do with the documentary. And it was building on, as I said, my chapter in Welsh Plural, but the, they also did some good work. I mean, I hadn't heard of Wendy Riley, um, so it was it was Eat Sleep Media who, who sort of did the groundwork. You know, I'd read a few things online, but they reached out to her and and uh, persuaded her. She wasn't sort of jumping at the, the chance, but persuaded her to be part of the documentary. She was a terrific speaker, and I, I've put this out on the socials. I want to hear more about her career. Uh, there was one of the, the people in the audience, I think a former teammate as well, my mind's gone blank as to the name. Mm. If you were there at Chapter, you'll remember, it was towards the, the end of the, the, the evening, sort of saying that, you know, if you've, you've, heard, you've all heard of Jess Fishlock, you know, Wendy Riley was, you know, Jess Fishlock and war, which is high, high, high praise indeed. But I guess it's a symptom of the time and the era and the kind of wider, you know, society agenda politics of these things that, you know, her story is is or has been to this date, to, you know, to date, uh, been a little bit obscure. Um, that doesn't surprise me that she was a little bit of reticence on her part to get involved because she's she doesn't seem to be a particularly kind of 
you know, shout from the, the rooftop type of person. Um, but no, she was she was a great speaker. Rob Earnshaw was there as well. Obviously, will be known to, to a, a younger audience as well. Um, and then, of course, um, George Berry as well, who, you know, even, even for young fans will be familiar with that, I think, fairly pretty iconic image of him just looking to his right. Um, I think it's his debut, isn't it, at, at the race course against West Germany. That's He's right. in that iconic kind of Admiral tracksuit. He's got you know that huge afro hair, but he's looking focused. He's looking steely. He's a he's a good looking chap as well. It's 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 an iconic picture. I guess he stands out as a as a, as an obvious kind of go to. Um, but of course, you know we also hear a lot more about in that first episode about Eddie Paris, who predated George as the first you know non white player to play for Wales by you know some forty odd plus years. And I for one, having done a tiny 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 amount of research into him, was really pleased that that's kind of where where it starts because I think that's a story that again needs to be needs to be told yeah absolutely I mean we, you know I, I talked to Liz McBride who's a local historian who, who'd done research on Eddie and, and to Martin Johns who'd written uh, an academic piece um, so it's, it's not as mm. if I was doing any original research but I think having having this this episode now is is something it does sort of say look let's recognize uh, Eddie Paris and let's also consider going forward the way we should recognize him and others like him you know we try and sort of broaden out from just the biography to to think about memorialization and to think about you know whether it's statues or murals or, or remembrance or education you know what wales wants to do to recognize it, its diverse history you know the fact that it's had uh, you know a black population longer than, than most places in in the uk uh, you know, Cardiff and, and Newport particularly, you know, I, I come from an education background. So, yes, I've got a view on some of those things, but it was more important to try and get some informed perspectives in in such a way that the viewer could feel like mm. they then take on that conversation maybe with other people, you know, afterwards. It's not as if I'm saying this is how everything should be uh, so much as offering some some information for, for people to consider. Yeah. And it's not it's not kind of this what's the word, sort of sycophantic or sort of hagiographic type portrayal or, or story of, of, of Eddie, because yes, it's to celebrate that, you know, he did win a cap in the 30s, but it was only the one cap. So it that, it does touch on, well, you know, why 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 was that? By all accounts, he didn't play particularly well, but, you know, he wouldn't be the first or the last player to, to not perhaps do their best, the best that they can do on, on, on their debut. It does yeah. pose the questions to the extent to which discrimination was also a factor in him not winning any more. So, you know, it is it is balanced and it's not a risk, perhaps, that it becomes this kind of, you know, collective sort of patting on our on our back that, oh, great, we had this um, this black player in the in the 30s. But it was only the single solitary cap in Belfast, I think, if I, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah, Belfast against Ireland. Yeah, I mean, Martin Johns makes makes the point that yes, Eddie probably didn't have a great game. Not uh, his teammates. Then you know, Wales lose four nil. Um, some players, I think, from the top flight weren't available for the game, so that could have been a part of the reason. But it also sort of brings up some of the some of the questions around history that often we are sort of having to speculate on certain matters that some things aren't documented. Uh, there isn't a lot about, there certainly isn't anything in the in the press at the time about Eddie being the first black player to represent Wales. Um, but we see in certain match reports, he's referred to as a, as a foreign player. You know, I mentioned this in the, in the doc and 
you know, he was mm, he was yes, born. Yes, of course, he had not born overseas. Um, his his father was from Barbados. His his mother was Welsh. So there are little moments where where, where you have to sort of then. And, and Martin has done this in his historical work, try and get a sense of what were the contemporary attitudes at the time. And and Martin sort of speculates as to whether they're moving to a more rural area, whether that is in any way related to the sort of racial, you know, what's euphemistically called racial tensions, what's more like, you know, the racism and threat of violence that, that Cardiff had sort of seen, you know, maybe a decade prior, well, less than a decade prior. But we can't be absolutely sure because he wasn't written about in that, in that sort of uh, detail. Um, so these things are, are difficult to, to mm. know about exactly. So we sort of jump forward a little bit in terms of the, you know, the the, the main speakers, and um, I'll be honest, he, he 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 still looks like he could probably do a job for a team today. Uh, George Berry uh, is is in great shape. I, I found what he said. I mean, yes, he was entertaining. Yeah. Yes, there was an element of sort of self-deprecation on his part. He conveyed the message around the appalling racism that he faced, but not just him. Other other players, other black players of his era. Yeah forcefully and soberly as well so yes there were some jokes and some laughs and, and things like that he, he pulled no punches and, and neither should they be pulled I mean that's kind of I guess the point of, of, of you know one of the points of the program but he was a tour de force I'd never heard him speak really properly not in not in, not in person anyway I mean it sort of snatches on on, on on TV and YouTube and things like that obviously he'd been an influential figure in the in the Players Football Association as well so his his influence is, is you know goes beyond just the, the pitch in his playing career and his playing days um, had the honour and the pleasure of chatting with him afterwards as well, had my picture taken, and um, yeah, he he, I think he impressed a, a, an awful lot of people that night, and I'm sure will continue to do so. But um, I didn't know this. I knew he, I knew I, obviously he was eligible for Wales because he because he played. I knew about them being born in in West Germany, etc. Um, I hadn't realised he had a uh, his childhood was in the in the Cannon Valley in, in in Mountain Ash where he did some filming as well. Yeah, and and you're not the first person to say that since since the screening. People have been in touch saying, you know, I, I grew mm. up, you know, a few miles from there, and you know, it would have made such a difference to know that that George Berry had, had lived there. Um, yeah. in, in terms of how again, how you think about your place and and how you you think about Wales. Um, you know, I remember those those programs back then, and and it would be sort of born in West Germany, Jamaican father, and that would be sort of all the information you'd get, you know, you don't didn't have the sort of social media, the internet, where you sort of feel a little bit more connected to players. So a lot of people weren't even sure that that, that George had a, a Welsh parent, his, his mother was Welsh, but you know, back then often there was the you might know that what, what the official term was Russell, but it was a sort of you could play for any of the home nations, wasn't there? Uh, I think I think uh, Eric Young sort of benefited from that because I don't know whether he had Welsh parents but was born in Singapore. No, I don't think so. Yeah. As I say, his mum was from from Mountain Ash, and he lived there uh, after you know a couple of years in West Germany. They moved there for a few years, uh, and we filmed there. and And he recalls it really as the, the, the happiest part of his childhood that he he didn't really mm. learn about racism until he went on to move to the north of England uh, and then he had to you know to deal with some of its harsh realities and obviously then becoming a footballer just took that to the to the next level and and to put things in context I mean George made his Wales then in 1979 
1978 was when the BBC stopped showing the black and white minstrel show. So in terms mm. of the attitudes, you know, mainstream attitudes, not sort of just, you know, people talk about the National Front and the skinheads, and I remember them being around in, in the late 70s, but mainstream British thinking, which included Welsh thinking, was racist in, in, in some of the most horrific ways. And, and footballers were, I guess, the first time that sort of we were seeing black people in public life you know there weren't many on tv um so you know it was it was match of the day and and football grounds where you, you would see black players and i, I mean you were there but when, when i asked george if he remembered the racism at the vet in 1981 he said well, not really because it was just you know it was what i had every week and i think it was a sort of audible gasp from some of the people in in the audience because because of how matter-of-fact it was. And, and as you say, there was so much sort of banter and, and him sort of being like, oh, it didn't bother me because I'm a tough guy. And, and he clearly is. Um, but I also know, you know, I know enough about racism, both sort of theoretically and, and, and personally, to know that that kind of stuff, it does have an effect. And, and I was watching as a nine-year-old kid and, 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 and it was horrific. Now I realise that George was sort of 24 and, and was barely, you know, an adult himself and was going through that, you know, mm. week in, week out without another black player on, on the team for Wolves at the time, without, you know, anyone to go to. He mentioned the PFA, but it wasn't like they were really, you know, leading the charge at this point. You know, no one could say to employers, you've got a duty of care to your, your black players here. There was, there was no thinking around that. The, the Commission for Racial Equality, I think, was set up in 79. So we really are at, at the early years of even recognising that racism is something that society should be addressing rather than something that, you know, black people are going to have to figure out a way of dealing with. When he did say that, it, you, you wrote it, that audible gasp, it, there was a very sort of physical reaction among among the audience mm-hmm. that evening. And then, of course, he, he then talks about how he would experience it from his own from his own fans, you know, playing for, playing for Wolves. Um, it might be there, given the year, ex- ex- to be expected from, if George is the away player, to get some grief from home fans. But when he's, he was talking about how often he would get it from, from his own fans, and he did talk about how he, he took action in one instance, um, a bit sort of Cantona-esque um, is, is the best way of describing it. But yeah, really, I mean, just, 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 just incredible. And, and it's one thing to be aware that that was the case because, you know, that's not news to me and other people who, in that audience, for sure. We've read about it, we've heard about it. But when that person is is articulating it with his own voice, with the, with the passion and the anger as well in that voice, it is all that more powerful. And because because there's still issues, you, you know, we keep we keep to having to to hear these these uncomfortable stories and these uncomfortable tales. Yeah, all power to him. He, he was he was incredible that night. I was really really impressed. I know I'm not alone on on on, on that regard. So. Um, Give us a flavour, though, of who, who else? As I mentioned, Robin Shaw, he was there, Wendy Riley. Who else do we do we hear about in the course of the, 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 the series? So we, in the Wendy Riley episode, we also talked to Safia Middleton-Patel, who only this yeah. year made her debut in goal for Wales. And, you know, 18 years old. I mean, there's a moment, I don't think it made the edit, but I asked her a question about her sort of plans, I think, and she answered in such a committed, coherent, focused way that I, I almost had to stop the interview because I was just sort of blown away by someone having such focus. But 
yeah, I mean, Safir, Safir was really interesting and, and really keen to to know more about Wendy. One of the things that emerged from from the interview was that she that the women seemed don't necessarily themselves know that much of the history of of that. Certainly, the the, the Welsh team before they come under the FAW. You know, I'd love if if one of the outcomes of the documentary was that Wendy and her generation were sort of asked to come in and talk to the current squad, and those connections were made. Because I think there's a there's a lineage that can easily be lost when you don't have loads of uh, YouTube clips to to look back on. And also in the the Wendy episode, we were lucky enough to talk to Nathan Blake. Now Nathan Blake is a name that you know Wales fans will know. He's documented for talking about racism, including in the national team. And he was adamant that he really didn't want to tell that story again. He'd he'd been there, but he grew up uh, on the Midland Estate in Newport with Wendy. Uh, and he says, you know, Wendy was a bit older than him, but was clearly the best footballer on the estate. And he was really keen to be part of it, to really to pay tribute to Wendy, which which I thought was really nice. Um, so I got to chat to him in England and, and, and talk about, you know, those memories of, of Wendy sort of coaching him a little bit, not 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 in a really formal way, but just giving him little tips and just checking in on, on how he was getting on as, as a younger boy who was football man. And then in the, in the final episode, we talk about sort of some of the projects that are going on in terms of addressing racism and, and various related matters. And Neil Taylor talks about his work with the Asian Inclusion Mentors, which is, a, I think it's a PFA thing. Uh, and he's been working with uh, Asian heritage players and their families. Um, and he, he talks about how often the families are kind of anxious about, you know, their their, their sons, uh, I think it's mostly boys he's working with, uh, um, going into a career in football. They, they, and so part of what he's doing as well as being concerned that, that it's a welcoming environment for those players is is allaying the, the, the concerns of parents that, that make sure that, you know, the the, the players' needs are met, but that they they can support this kind of decision. And I remember ending that interview with Neil sort of saying, "Oh, I guess it will be a while before you know we see the fruits of this." And him saying, "No, that you know players are already starting to come through." And I forget the name, but I know someone I think at Newport uh, has come through on the BBC uh, website, and, and they mentioned Ames and, and that they've been part of that. So, yeah, fingers crossed that there'll be more from that as well. Yeah, I saw there was a, a young player at Newport. I think he, I think his father's was a, was a Gurkha or is a Gurkha. Yeah. You know, the, the Gurkha connection with Brecon. I think he, he grew up in Brecon, and I think he's with Newport. I mean, I, I might be wrong on a couple of those details, but yeah, I remember reading something on that of those lines recently. So, Kibben Rye, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I've just found yeah, that. there you go. But Neil, again, I mean, I've 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 encountered people um, realise. That Neil, it's Neil's mother, I think, is is from India, but I guess he has a very uh, sort of um, English-sounding and a very anglicised name, and and so maybe again, people are maybe taken a little bit aback by that. So there's always this learning kind of process, kind of going on, and it's okay, isn't it, to learn and to be a bit surprised and to then have to go through some process internally in one's own mind to go, okay, what does this mean? How did I perhaps? react to this how did i what what were my assumptions beforehand that that process of learning is is key because what we're not doing what the program doesn't do it's not around wagging fingers at people it's around presenting this is the history this is people's experience this is their testimony we would like you to listen we'd like you to pay attention 
that process is important though as well isn't it in this work yeah absolutely i mean i think viewed as a whole the series you know i think someone said that the screening there's sort of joy joy and pain in there it's it's just trying to you know i didn't sort of go in with a really fixed agenda and then as some journalists do, then try and get the interviewees to say the things I'm thinking. Uh, we, we tried as much as possible to be led by, you know, what people were saying and the stories that emerged. So you, you do get, you know, moments of, of people talking about, you know, barriers, but you also get, uh, particularly from Neil Taylor, this, this sort of, again, this sort of focus of, you know, things are getting better, uh, things will get better, and yes, they were racist, but they're going to they're going to lose this battle. Um, and it, it it gave me sort of pause to think about how sports psychology is very much about you know, controlling the controllables and that sort of determination. And my sort of academic work is much more sort of big focus on, you know, what does the data tell us? And sometimes the data can be quite, uh, quite uh, depressing. But if you tell that data to an individual who's trying to get on, it might not help them in their mindset. So it was interesting how sort of different ways of, of thinking about these things can, can work in, you know, in, in different directions almost. Um, definitely things here where I think it's actually it's a story of, of that Wales should be proud of. Um, you know, I mean, Neil and that 2016 team, uh, you know, Ashley Williams, Hal Robson, Kanu, I mean, that is an amazing thing. And living here in, in, in England, you know, when the England team subsequently did well at a tournament, there were so many think pieces on, this is modern England, look look at how diverse the squad is. And I thought back and thought, I don't remember as many about the 2016 team. Maybe that's because the big three, you know, Bale, Nancy Allen were white players. I'm not sure, or maybe there's just less discourse around that in Wales. You know, I want Wales to, to recognise when, when things are going well as, as well. This isn't a sort of attempt for me to say, you know, I had a few experiences growing up of, of racism in Wales and, and I just want to talk about them. You know, I have such good memories of my childhood in, in Swansea and and I so enjoy going back to Wales. So it's a, it's a complicated story. And as I say, it, it's trying to bring all of that out because I guess the, the real thing is that I don't know of another documentary series that has done this yet. And I hope this isn't the final word, but that, you know, people will, will pick up and maybe with bigger budgets, we'll, we'll do more of this work. Because I think that would be, you know, that'd be something that I'd be really pleased to see. I wholeheartedly agree. I think, um, you know, it, it tells some stories. It gives some insight to, to, to people's experiences and some really interesting times, um, sobering times. But yeah, there's, there's clearly a whole lot more that, that could could be done and can be done and hopefully will be done and not least with the likes of you know Sophia Middleton Patel forging a you know a, a good career for herself and you know and other young players and and, and the young lad at Newport for example um, providing those role models you know that the representation all of that's really really important and then you know I wear a, a you know from time to time a sport and heritage hat in Wales and it's important then that when the National Football Museum opens in 2025 that um there's representation from from some of these individuals in those collections, whether that's you know caps and pictures and pennants and whatever else it might be, but also some of those oral histories and some of the, the spoken word uh, testimonies um, of of some of these individuals, I think is is really really important as well. All credit to you all uh, involved with it. It's a really really good series. I really enjoyed um, the, the 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 evening at the chapter that night. Um, 
won't claim to have enjoyed every everything that was that was said and covered. It was it was hard hitting, but necessarily so, I suppose. Any other plans um, for, for yourself, Darren? You know, with the writing and everything else. Well, I mean, at the moment, I'm sort of doing my best. I mean, thank you for inviting me onto this. I, obviously, I want to promote the, the series as much as possible. You know, the FAW have got Red Wall Plus. We really hope that people will will watch it. That that having to sign, give an email, doesn't sort of put people off who aren't already signed up because that's all it, it requires um george uh vicky and i are, are taking uh the, the dragon on my shirt to green man so we're, we're doing a screening and a, and a panel there um and hopefully there'll be a, a few more events uh going forward as well uh and then otherwise yeah i mean i'm always doing bits of writing and still still keen to talk about culture plural uh wherever people are willing to to have us um uh, I've written about Welsh children's literature as well, so I'm kind of interested in, in you know, the issue of you know, diversity and representation and Welshness. Um, and it feels like we're at a time when people are open to reflecting on this and thinking about uh, successes and, and, and challenges ahead, which is encouraging. Yeah, best of luck with that. So Welsh Plural is on sort of repeater, isn't it? I think, if I remember correctly, I haven't got my copy to hand. That's right, yeah. I do see it a lot, actually. I, I saw it, um, I was in Tlangramag last week, and we went to Abertavi and went round and about Aberaeron, and I saw it on, on shelves. Um, so that's encouraging. Please go and watch the series. It is important. If people wanted to get in touch with you and maybe share some of the, the, the comments and, and feedback, obviously you're on... You're on Twitter as well, but um, what would be the uh, the contact details and the and the socials for you? Yeah, Twitter be the the best uh, at Rap Classroom. That's all one word. R A P Classroom. Um, I'm on Insta with with the same handle as well. But yeah, I'd love to hear what, what people think about it and what they what they'd like to see next. Um, not saying I'd be the one to make it, but as I say, as long as people are trying to produce this sort of stuff, I, you know, I'll be very happy. Yeah, and the rap classroom, if my understanding is correctly, is because you've got an interest and you've written again around um, hip hop as well, haven't you? So that's another passion and interest of yours as well. It is, yeah, hip hop and 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 education. I sort of do work on on that in London, and and it was also you know a part of the Dragon and Shirt. We were really keen to get Welsh artists on the, on the soundtrack. So we've got oh, Sage Todd, Lem Freck, Juice Menis, Don Leisure, and then the opening theme is is Carwin Ellis and Rio Eighteen Ola. Uh, and I think that really adds to it that there's this sort of you know nice uh, mosaic of music that, that's there uh, as we see the visuals. Yes, no, that's a really good point actually. That's a really good point. It does enhance it. I hadn't made a note of that in uh, in my notes uh, by way of preparation for this as to as to which bit which bits to, to shout out. But yeah, no, the soundtrack um, is uh, is a big part of this series as well. Uh, Darren, I'm really grateful for your time. I'll let you uh, let you crack on with your with with your summer holidays and uh, yeah, uh, look forward to whether it's another another series, another episode, or, or whatever else. And um, more than welcome um, back on any any time. And uh, all the best for the for the swan season as well. Are you confident? <laughs> Never confident with the swans, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Lovely, Darren. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Russell. Appreciate it.